We are honored tonight to have Pastor Rob Shepherd from Next Level Church with us to share. We're so excited he's here. Uh, Next Level Church was planted by Pastor Rob and his team in 2012, and so we've had the opportunity to be his friends and cheerleaders in this over these last five years, and God is doing a great thing. They're located in Yorktown, and we've just, we've just called Rob one of our friends. He's one of those people that Fred and I reach out to personally, and he's a friend of, of City Life. He's definitely, the Next Level Church is at the top of the list when people say, Saturday night doesn't work for me, or maybe City Life isn't the right fit. We say, you need to go check out Next Level Church. And so we're honored to be serving God with people like Pastor Rob and with a, a church like Next Level. So will you give it up for Pastor Rob? Welcome him here. We're so excited that he's with us. Hey, good afternoon. Wow. I was expecting a little bit more. So um, let me tell you how this works. Um, according to statistics, a crowd judges a speaker within the first 30 seconds of him speaking. So I know that you're judging me right now. And <laughs> you're thinking all sorts of things like this is not Pastor Fred. And why did I come this week? I wish I would have just skipped and stayed home. Or I could have gone to church tomorrow. I could have just hung out today. I know you're judging me. But, and that's, that's fine. I want you to know that I'm judging you as well. And if you don't respond to this talk, I'm prepared. I brought myself a fidget spinner. <laughs> and at any time I get distracted because you're not responding the way that I think you should respond, I'm going to keep myself on pace by just, this is what this does. You know, anyone know fidget spinners? Anyone? Two of you. Wow. Tough crowd. All right. I'm judging you right now. Here's the thing, I love, I absolutely love City Life, and uh, I love Pastor Fred, Vanessa, incredible people, and I don't know if you guys know how blessed you are to be at this church. Um, sometimes when you are in something, especially if you've been there for a while, you can take for granted the great things that you get to experience. And I just want to, because I'm an outsider, I want to tell you about some of the amazing things that you get to experience. Um, these are just some of the things. Like, first of all, um, the vast majority of churches in our area are segregated, and City Life is not a segregated church. That, that alone should be something that you should say, God's doing something here. I watched, I got to sit over there and watch as people came in, and there's, there's a whole group with, like, tattoos, there's a, a whole... There's a, there, there was a guy with a cowboy hat. I don't see him anymore, but he walked in. That was pretty cool. There's, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of different stuff going on. That's rare. And you guys may, may be used to it. You don't know that this doesn't happen in every church. I got a chance to just glance over the side of my eye. It caught my attention. I believe it's been a couple years since I've seen her, so I may be wrong, but the last time I spoke here was a few years ago, and afterwards, I went to dinner with uh, the pastor and his family, and I believe you are Pastor Fred's daughter. Am I right or wrong? You're right. Okay, here's the thing. You may not know this. You may take it for granted, but in a lot of churches, like a lot of churches I grew up in, the pastor's kids weren't worshiping Jesus. They were smoking pot out back, <laughs> and she had her hands full up praising Jesus. That's not something you should take for granted. There's something going on here, 
and you shouldn't take it for granted. This is not something that happens, and you can get so used to it that you just think, oh, this just happens in every church, in every block in America, and it doesn't. What happened here and what you're experiencing is not normal. There's something special going on here. And so I'm very excited to, to be here and get a chance to, uh, to speak to you guys tonight. Uh, I want to go and uh, pray before we get into our topic, if that's cool with you. And um, I know that you guys seem very comfortable with prayer, and I want to give you a chance to pray whatever is on your heart. Because here's the truth of the matter. Sometimes when we come into church, we feel like we have to play a certain role. And we feel like we have to come in and just pretend like we got it all together. And I want to make sure that we're not pretending as we come in and get a chance to hear from God. And so I want to give you a chance just to simply talk to him. And if you've got some junk going on, if you've got some guilt, or you've got some issues, or you've got just some, God, this week has just stunk. Or if you're from King James, it stinketh. If, you've, <laughs> if you're just dealing with some stuff and so this was a tough week, and I'm having a hard time even thinking and paying attention because of what's going on in my life, you just need to spend a few moments just talking to God. Because I don't want you to miss what God wants to say to you because you're distracted with your life circumstances. And if you're new to the church scene, if you don't know what to say, I want to offer you just a short prayer. It's a prayer that I say almost every week. And the prayer is simple. It just says, God, would you speak to my heart? And would you give me the courage to do whatever you tell me to do? So I want to give you a few moments just to pray, and then we'll dive into things. Will you guys pray? God, we just come before you right now, and we just ask that you would speak to our hearts. You don't need our permission, but we're giving it to you. And we ask, God, that you would remove the distractions. We ask you to remove the distractions from this room. We ask you to remove the distractions from our mind. God, for some of us, we're not even meaning to be distracted, but life has been so hard this week, we can't think of anything but our problems. And I just ask, in Jesus' name, that you would guard the door of our brains, and you would take every thought captive so we could hear clearly from you. We ask, God, that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. God, we just ask that you would say something to us personally, and you give us the courage to obey no matter how hard it is. And God, I just ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, to start things off, I need you guys to help me out. This may be a little bit different for you. This may not be something that you're used to, but this is an all play, okay? So you don't get to ignore what I'm about to say. Everyone is gonna participate in this, okay? So even if this is your very first time, everyone's gonna do this, okay? You don't get to ignore this or just say, I don't wanna do this. Everyone's gonna do this. Everyone across the room is gonna do this, okay? Everyone, I want everyone to do this, all right? This is what you're gonna do. Um, I want you to pick someone, okay? If it happens to be there's an uneven match amount, you can have a group of three, but try to stick in groups of two. And I want you to pick someone, and you're going to pick a partner, and don't do it yet, just listen to the instructions, and I'll tell you what you're going to do, okay? Uh, you are going to pick someone, and then you're going to take turns. And for 30 seconds, one of you is going to take 30 whole seconds to complain about as much stuff as you possibly can. You're just gonna complain. It can be about anything. You can complain about government, politics. You can complain about America. You can complain 
about the guest speaker. You can complain about anything. Complain about your family, although it might be awkward if you're sitting next to your family. But you can complain about anything, okay? 30 seconds to complain. And then after 30 seconds is up, you're going to switch, and the other person is going to get a chance to complain to you, okay? So take about five seconds to find a partner. Everyone get a partner. Everyone grab a partner. All right, once you got a partner, on the count of three, one of you, go. One, two, three, complain. Stop, stop, stop. Okay, now, the next person, you get 30 seconds to complain. 30 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Stop. All right. Stop. Stop. You guys are the happiest bunch of complainers I've ever seen. Why are you smiling? What are you complaining about that's making you smile? There's some like laughing going on over here. I don't know what. When I complain, it doesn't involve smiling and laughing. Here's the thing about complaining I don't know what you guys just complained about. But we lie to ourselves when it comes to complaining. We tell ourselves that if I find someone to complain to, it's going to make me feel better. We all feel this way. And so when something doesn't go your way in life, we think, I need to find someone and I got to get this out. I got to talk about it. I got to find someone. But complaining never makes you feel better. You complain, you get it out, and then because you haven't solved the problem, it's just still in your life. And so now you have to find someone else to complain to. And complaining, we often think, I just need to talk about it, I need to get it out. But complaining has never solved anyone's problems, and yet we all think that that is the answer to our problems. And here's the crazy thing about complaining. When we are around someone that complains, we all say the same thing. They are so negative. I wish they would just solve their problems. They're so draining. I don't like being around them. I want to avoid them. But when it comes to our problems, we think the answer is to complain. Isn't it weird? By the way, can I rent you tomorrow because you are an awesome like yet whatever yet wow all that stuff that's really good I don't I don't have a lot of that in my church I hope that's not offensive that I said rent you that wasn't meant to be offensive (laughs) sometimes my words come out faster than my brain can catch up to them but that's awesome more of you need to do whatever that is that's incredible I like that a lot so complaining we think that the answer to our problems is to is to complain, but complaining doesn't fix anything. And no one in this world has ever said, you know what my goal is this year? My goal is to complain more. 
I just want to complain more. We don't ever look at people that complain and say, I want to be like them. People that complain are so attractive. Like no one says, you know what I want to be like? I want to be like Kanye West because he complains all the time. That's who I want to be like. No one says that. We don't like people who complain. We are attracted to people who are positive, who have a positive outlook on life, and who go through difficult circumstances and yet find a way to still live in a positive manner, right? Thank you. You're catching on. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. That was good. Those are the people we like. And yet in our own life, we have a very hard time not complaining. Has anyone here ever heard of the placebo effect? If you've heard of it, just raise your hand. Okay, you guys are smart. That's a lot of you. I hadn't heard of the placebo effect until I I did research for this talk. The placebo effect is something that's been around for a really long time that a lot of doctors, medical people, even psychologists have used where at times they will give a patient a pill or a prescription and it has no medicine in it. It is often made of sugar or it's made of, of an oil or something that has no medical benefit to them. They just tell them that it'll, it'll benefit them, that it'll make them better. And because they tell them it'll make them better, the patient starts to believe it'll make them better. And sometimes up to 80% of the time when they've done research on this, patients have actually become better. That's fascinating. That the human body, the brain, actually convinces the body to get better when it thinks positively. But something was found when they did the research on this. Has anyone heard of the nocebo effect? Okay, not as many. Here's the thing. When they did the research for the placebo effect, they found something interesting, which was the nocebo effect. And the nocebo effect was that some of the patients that went through this read the warning label on the fake medicine that they got. They didn't know it was fake, but they read the warning label. And it said that it came with some side effects, some things like nausea, um, diarrhea, dry mouth, headaches. It said some things that it came with. And what they found was that a large amount of the people who read about the side effects for this fake medicine got the issues that were on the medication. And they would come back to the doctor and they would complain. And they would say, man, the medicine's just messing up my stomach. I'm getting nauseous. I'm getting these headaches. They convinced themselves that they were getting sick and having these effects from these pills that literally had no medicine in them. This is something that happens all the time. In fact, it happens in a lot of students who are studying for medicine. One study showed that 79% of medical students report developing symptoms suggested of the illness they are studying. Because they get paranoid and think they'll get sick, their bodies comply by getting sick. That literally medical students, when they start doing research and they think, well, I'm going to get that. I just learned about this new disease. I'm going to get that. Their body convinces them, I've got it. Now, I didn't know any of this was in existence until literally this week when I researched this. But I experienced this very thing a couple months ago. I went to the doctor and he put me on some medication. And he gave me this medication. He said, I think this is going to help you. But I need to let you know there are some side effects to this medication. This medication has caused some people to have some heart issues. I took the medication and for the first three days, I was like um, Fred Sanford from Sanford and Son. I was like, this is the big one. It's coming, Elizabeth. Like, that's way before some of your time. You don't know what I'm talking about. I thought I was having a heart attack for three days in a row. I felt chest pains. I felt felt pain in my arm. Like, I go back to my doctor, and I'm like, man, I I really think I'm having a heart attack. And he takes my blood pressure, and he's like, no, your blood pressure is great. Everything's great. I had convinced myself that the medication I was on was giving me a heart attack. 
when it wasn't giving me a heart attack. And now I know why, because of the nocebo effect. What's the point of all this? The point of all this is that your attitude is incredibly important in the way that you live your life. And oftentimes we think that our circumstances dictate how happy we are, or our circumstances dictate how good our life is. But the truth is, it's not your circumstances that dictate how great your life is. It's the way you respond to your circumstances. Our big idea for today, if you're taking any notes, if you want to write anything down, it is simply this. Your attitude determines the quality of your destination. Your attitude determines the quality of your destination. I want to show you this in our text for today. Our text, it comes from the Old Testament part of the Bible. It comes from the second book of the Bible, which is Exodus. It's called Exodus because God's people, the Israelites, they were exodusing from slavery, from the Egyptians. They were wandering away into the wilderness. They were walking out. They escaped. If you have ever seen uh, any of the movies based off this, you know the story. They, a, a lot of miracles happen. They leave Egypt under these miraculous conditions. They walk on dry land. When the Red Sea parts, they get to the other side. It's this amazing thing, this amazing journey of how they exodus out of slavery. Maybe you're familiar with Moses, but maybe you haven't studied the original language. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and in Hebrew, the name Moses is pronounced Charlton Heston. It's just a joke. It's just a joke, people. But Moses leads the Israelites out into this wilderness where they are waiting to get into the promised land. And it's a group of people who they didn't just hear about God doing some miracles. They literally saw miracles with their own eyes. And they saw what God did and they saw how God Delivered them. But here's the thing that you got to make sure that you get because it's not in the text that we're going to read. The reason that God delivered them is because they groaned before God. When they were in slavery, they groaned. And I want you to know something that groaning is something that is incredibly biblical. Groaning is not complaining, groaning is not grumbling. Groaning is an emotion that God wants us to have during times of sorrow. There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, and it's all about the groaning. It's all about sometimes life stinks. Sometimes life is not fair. Sometimes we don't get what we want. And God responds and hears our groans. In fact, when you get to the New Testament part of the Bible, it says, one of the authors says, that sometimes we don't know what to pray. And our, our groans are translated by the Holy Spirit up to God. The groans, I don't know if you've ever had a miscarriage, but it's like, I don't know how to even pray right now. These just feelings, like, I don't know what to say, but this stuff in here that I don't even know how to talk about it, the Holy Spirit takes it up, takes the groans up, and translates it to God, and God gives us what we need. If you've ever lost a loved one, and you're like, I just, I don't even know how to pray, I just can't do it, that's the groaning. And the Israelites were groaning before God and saying, we hate this slavery. It is miserable. Will you hear our prayer? God hears their prayer and he delivers them. And they get out of slavery. And now this is where our text picks up. We're going to read in Exodus 16, verse 2. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And Aaron, today we live in a culture of complaint. Everybody complains about everything. 
literally no one can do anything right. If you want to do anything, if you want to try to do anything, if you want to make any change in this world, someone's going to complain about it. You literally can't do anything without someone saying, that's not right. You should have done it this way. I don't like the way you did it. And I'm going to write an anonymous blog post about you and challenge you on it. People complain. People complain about everything. We live in a culture of complaint. Here's the interesting thing, though. According to research, what we complain about has very little to do with our circumstances and has a lot to do with our attitude. According to the Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, this is really important, how people react to events is determined largely by their view of the events, not the events themselves. Let me read that again. Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, how people react to events is determined largely by their view of the events, not the events themselves. And you know this, even though you may have never heard of this theory, you know this because have you ever been to a movie and you sat in the movie next to someone and you got out of the movie and you like hated the movie, but the person that you're with loved the movie and you're like, did we see the same thing? Like, how did you, did you not, that was awful. How did you, why did you like that? Because the circumstances don't, don't determine our reactions. It's our thoughts going into it. And oftentimes when we go into a circumstance, we've already made up our mind that it's going to be awful. We've already made up our mind that I don't like this. I don't want to do this. I'm not going to have fun with that. I don't really want to hear from a guest preacher tonight. God's not going to speak to me. I don't want to do this. I can't do that for God. Other people do praxis, but not me. I can't do that. God uses other people, but he's not going to use me. I don't want to do that. I don't like that. That's not for me. That's for other people. How people react to events is determined largely by their view of the events, not the events themselves. In other words, your attitude determines the quality of your destination. If you're not enjoying life, don't blame your circumstances. Blame your attitude. If you're not enjoying life, don't blame your circumstances. Blame your attitude. And that doesn't mean that you don't have to change some circumstances. Sometimes you have to change your circumstances. Sometimes your circumstances stink and you got to change them. You got to make a move. You got to adjust something. But your attitude is going to determine your destination. And while you're changing your circumstances, it's going to be a lot better for you if you have a positive attitude during the change than if you're wailing and bemoaning the change in your life. Why? Because your attitude determines the quality of your destination. So the Israelites are complaining. They are groaning to God. And now we're going to see what they're complaining about. In Exodus 16, verse 3, it says, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand. You got to read this really whiny voice. Like you can't read this like with a preacher voice. It's, this, is, this is not like bold. This is like whiny and pitiful. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Woe is me. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Okay. Have you ever been around someone who's complaining and you just think to yourself, are you kidding me right now? Do you even know how good you have it? What are you complaining about? The Israelites 
because they're in a difficult circumstance, are literally complaining against the God that heard their prayer while they were in slavery and delivered them. And they're literally groaning against him and saying, why did you take us out of there? We had it so good in Egypt when we were in slavery. Because in Egypt, we had such great food to eat. Okay, if you just take your Bible and just flip over a couple pages, you see that they were groaning. They were miserable in Egypt. And yet they had forgotten about it because they wanted some food. So they're groaning before God. They are groaning. They are, they are complaining. And, and here's the deal. This is often what we do with a complaint. When we have a complaint, um, we don't go to the person that we actually have a complaint about. We like to talk about people. We don't like to talk to people. And one of the things, if you're here today and you would say that you're a Christian, Jesus gave us a way to handle our complaints and our issues with people. It's in Matthew 18, and it's the way that we are supposed to deal with issues. Because the truth is, is we're not perfect, and no one else is perfect. And sometimes they're going to wrong you. And sometimes they're not going to mean to wrong you, but they just wronged you. And sometimes they're going to say the very first time they meet you, can I rent you? And that's very offensive to say. <laughs> so sometimes you're going to have to apologize, and you're going to have to make things right. And Jesus gave Christians a plan on how to do that. And yet, how many Christians do you know when there is a conflict, they deal with the person who has wronged them? We love to talk about people, but we don't like to talk to people. And here the Israelites, they had an opportunity. They could have talked to God. He already heard their prayer when they groaned. They could have said, hey, God, we're kind of struggling again. We thank you for taking us out of slavery, but we're kind of hungry and we don't want to complain, but would you hear our prayer again? We know you are a powerful God. We need you to come through again. But instead of talking to God, they talk about God. And they go to Moses and they say, this God of yours has forgotten about us. And why did this God of yours lead us out here to die? We had such better food when we were back in slavery. Your attitude determines the quality of your destination. Moses had told them that they are going to the promised land, but instead of focusing on the promised land, they started thinking about the past. And their situation was causing them to miss out on what God wanted to do in their life. The truth is that you're going somewhere. Whether you enjoy the journey is based on your attitude. You're going somewhere in life. And whether or not you enjoy it, it's not based off what happens to you because you can't always control what happens to you. What you can control is how you respond to what happens to you. So instead of celebrating the type of God that they had, they decided to complain. They decided to, to groan, to, to, to grumble against God. So let's see what happens next. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening... Quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew. It was mountain-flavored around the camp. <laughs> when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. This is one of the most entertaining texts in the entire Bible. This is an amazing, for people that say that the Bible is boring, it is simply because they either don't read the Bible or they don't know how to read the Bible. This is a phenomenal text. 
that the Israelites are complaining against God. And God, instead of zapping them dead, says, okay, you guys are whining, complaining. I should just put you back into slavery and give you something to complain about. But instead, he says, okay, I've heard your, your whiny complaints. Here's some quail for you. And here in the morning, when you wake up in the morning, there is going to be frost on the ground. The frost is going to turn into flakes. They will be frosted flakes. They're great. (laughs) And the people wake up every single morning and eat frosted flakes. And they walk out of their tents and they gather the frosted flakes. And they look at each other and they say, what is it? Now, if I saw the things that were frosted flakes, I would call them frosted flakes. But they didn't have our context. They didn't know about Tony the Tiger. So they were like, what is it? And they were like, we don't know. So they said, so what should we call it? And they literally called it, what is it? But what is it is called, what is it? Can you imagine as a parent trying to feed your toddler dinner and breakfast when it's like, mama, that looks weird. What is it? Just eat your food. It's, it, it's what is it? No, that's what I asked you, mama. What is it? I told you it's what is it? Just eat your food. No, mama, I'm telling you, I just need to know, what is it? It is, what is it? That's what I told you. It's the, what is it? Mama, I don't understand. What is it? I don't know how else to tell you this, boy. It is, what is it? It is, what is it? That is what it is. What is it? I find this stuff hilarious. They named it, what is it? Now, later, they translate this, what is it, into this word, manna. And maybe if you've been in the church for a long time, you've heard this word, manna. But manna was another way that they referred to the what is it, which was just, I think, some parents got tired of trying to explain to their kid, what is it? And they were like, just call it manna. It's just easier. So they had this stuff called manna. It was like bread. And they would eat it every morning. And God provided it for them. Now, this is something that I find amazing that God literally provided another miracle and in their presence every morning they would wake up and walk out of their tents and they would have a miracle from God and they knew it was a miracle because they couldn't even describe it. It wasn't like they could explain this away. It wasn't like they could say, oh, we've seen this breakfast cereal before. We've seen this meal before. No, they literally were like, we don't even know what it is. This is a miracle from God. And they would eat and they were happy And it was amazing. But the story doesn't end there. See, every morning, they got the what is it. They got the manna. But after two years, things started to change. The miracle that God had provided started to be the very thing that the people started to complain about. They started to get tired of the manna. And if you fast forward and get out of Exodus and jump into Numbers, in Numbers chapter 11, you're going to see what happens after just two short years of being in the wilderness and eating manna on a regular basis. This is what happens with the children of Israel. And this is so important because it's something that happens to so many Christians today. Look what happens in Numbers 11, 4 through 6. It says, the rabble with them begin to crave other food. Let's stop there just for a second. The rabble, who is this talking about? Well, when the, uh, when the Israelites left Egypt, there were some people who were not Israelites who said, that looks like a cool group of people. We want to join that posse. 
We want to see what's going on. That God is a legit God. We want to be a part of whatever he's doing. But they never were fully a part of the camp. They never were considered Israelites. They were considered kind of the rabble. They, they kept to their Egyptian ways, but they hung out with the Israelites. And they've been doing this for two years, and they are the rabble. And so the rabble has been benefiting from the miracles of God. And after two years, the rabble began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. Now, this is really important because negativity breeds negativity. And some of you have experienced this because at some point in your life, you were at a great church that you had no complaints about, but someone, some rabble came up to you and started voicing a complaint and it planted a seed. And as soon as that negativity was planted in your mind, that's all you could see. And the rabble complains and it just plants a seed and it starts to take a miracle from God and it starts to turn it in to a curse. And literally, because the Israelites didn't say, hey, don't you dare talk about this miracle from God. Don't you dare put this down. Don't you dare talk about my what is it. I love my what is it. Because they didn't shut it down, literally the rabble infected the entire group of the Israelites and all of them started to complain. Look at what it says. If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is at some point in your life, God answered a prayer. Maybe it was when you were single and you prayed, God, I just want to get married. And he provided your manna. And you got married, and that very manna that he provided is the thing that you complain about today. Or maybe you were married and you said, God, would you just give us children? And you got children, and they got to the age of two, and you said, dear God, why'd you give us children? <laughs> and the very manna that God provided for you is the complaint that you have today. Or for some of you, you said, God, uh, I, just, I just need a job. Would you just provide me a job and God provided you a job and you get a paycheck and yet you have found a way to complain about the manna that God has provided for you in your life and you know that not everyone has a job but not everyone can pay their bills but you have a job and you have a job with insurance and yet you still complain about it because it doesn't meet all of your needs there's a way if we're not careful there's a way for us to take the very blessings that God has given us and complain about them and God has provided manna to them. And they found a way to say, we're sick of the manna. We're sick of it. We want to go back to slavery instead of eating the manna. We're tired of it. Negativity breeds negativity. And it will destroy the miracles that God is doing in your life. So here's the deal. If God's provided a miracle in your life, don't you dare let negativity in your life. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Let me tell you, City Life is a great church. And you know how, you want to see one of the things that the devil does on a very regular basis? There are no verses 
of the devil where he is fighting against himself. The devil is a unified army with his army of demons. You never see any examples of the devil and his inner army fighting. Why? Because the devil understands unity. So what does the devil constantly do in the churches? He says, we got a great church here. Let's start breaking this thing up. Let's mess this thing up. I can't believe. Can you believe he talked about that? We've been in this sermon series forever. I heard that illustration before. Why did that happen? I can't believe. Why do we got to have church on Saturday night all the time? I just want to be a Sunday morning church. Complaints from the rabble. And it plants a seed. And before you know it, you find yourself complaining about the very manna that God has provided in your life. Here's the truth of the matter. If you're sick of some manna in your life, it's something that God's provided, you better get creative with that manna. You better figure out a way to be thankful for the manna God's given you. If the Israelites woke up in the morning and they're like, hey, we're kind of tired of this manna, they should have they been like Bubba from Forrest Gump and figured out a million different ways to make the manna. You can barbecue it, boil it, boil it, bake it, saute it, pan fry it, deep fry it, stir fry it. There's pineapple manna, lemon manna, coconut manna, pepper fried manna, manna soup, manna stew, manna salad, manna and potatoes, manna burger, manna sandwich. You got to manna the mess out of the manna. Let's keep going. Numbers 11.10. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. Now, just because God gets angry, it doesn't mean he loves people any less. If you're a parent, you've gotten angry at your kids, and it doesn't mean you love them any less. It just means that they're probably acting spoiled and rotten, and God has some people who have forgotten the blessings that he's provided for them. And they are complaining about the very miracles that he's provided. And it makes him angry. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. But this is something that we need to wrestle with. Because when God provides a miracle in your life and you turn around in a year or two and start to complain about that very miracle, it makes God angry. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he doesn't want a relationship with you. It doesn't mean he's trying to separate you, but it just frustrates him. Because he's provided something for you, and yet in your selfishness, in your consumerism, you found a way to complain for the very miracle that he's provided for you. Because your attitude determines the quality of your destination. You're going somewhere, but how you get there is based off your attitude. So I want to close with giving you some just practical things. This is just something that I hope will help you, and we're just going to fly through these because we don't have much time. When you have a bad attitude, you have two choices. You can either change your circumstance or you can change your attitude. Change your circumstance or change your attitude. And the Israelites, they, they could not change their circumstance. They were out in the wilderness they couldn't change the manna. They couldn't do anything about it. So they had to change their attitude. And because they didn't change their attitude, they caused God to be angry and ended up bringing a whole bunch of trouble on themselves because of their attitude. So here is the question that we need to wrestle with. How do you change your attitude? When you're in a situation and you start to have a bad attitude, how do you change it? I have a theory, and I want to give this to you, and this is how we're going to close. To change your attitude, you must move from a consumer 
to a contributor. To change your attitude, you must move from a consumer to a contributor. The Israelites were constantly consuming the miracles of God. And the issue was not the miracles, it was their consumption of the miracles. And constantly, over and over again, God would provide and they would consume. And after they would consume, they would find a way to complain. Why? Because they weren't giving back. They weren't contributing. They were just consuming. And as long as you have a consumer mindset, eventually what you love will turn into something that you'll complain about. you got to change your attitude. And if you want to change your attitude, you got to move from a consumer to a contributor. Consumers complain. Contributors find solutions. Consumers say, oh, my boss is the worst boss ever. Contributors say, I'm going to find a way to make my boss the best boss ever. Consumers complain, I can't stand our country. We got all this, well, well, well. Well, contributors find a way to make our country better. Consumers ask, what's in it for me? Contributors ask, what's best for we? Consumers are only looking out for their own benefit and they start to complain because when their needs aren't met, they start to plant that seed and all of a sudden they say, everyone's unhappy. Nobody like that. It's a lie. Consumers are consumed with themselves. But contributors think, what's the best thing for us as a group? And the best thing for the Israelites would have been to be thankful for the manna. Consumers focus on what they deserve. Contributors focus on what they provide. Have you ever met anyone that just said, I don't deserve that kind of treatment. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated that way. I don't deserve Listen, none of us deserve anything that God has given us. It is a gift of God. The grace and love of God is a gift of God. And contributors understand that it's a gift. Consumers blame others for their happiness. Contributors, let me say that again. Consumers blame others for their happiness. Contributors create their own happiness. Consumers are always saying, I'm not happy because my wife is so-and-so. I'm not happy because my husband is so-and-so. I'm not happy because my job is this. I'm not happy because of this. Consumers are constantly complaining about something, but they're not willing to lift a finger to make their life better. Contributors say, I don't rely on anyone else to make me happy. I'm going to make my life happy. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to solve some problems. I'm going to figure this thing out. Consumers grumble. Contributors are grateful. Viktor Frankl was in a Nazi concentration camp and he saw every single one of his rights and privileges stripped from him. The Nazis were known for making sure that someone didn't feel like they were a human and so they would take away their belongings, then they would strip them naked and strip them of their clothes And the last piece, the last thing that they would do to make sure that these Jews didn't feel human is they would would strip them of their name. And they wouldn't call them a name. They would simply give them a number. And under that kind of pressure, it was enough to defeat anyone. But when Viktor Frankl was in a concentration camp, he had a mindset that said, it doesn't matter what anyone does to me. I'm not going to let anyone determine my attitude. Viktor Frankl said the following, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, 
to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. When we are no longer able to change situations, we are challenged to change ourselves. What a powerful word from a man who literally had nothing. I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up and we're going to get a chance to worship. And I want to tell you that I think that we're never more like God when we're grateful. And we don't have to be thankful for everything that's in our life. But we have to be thankful in every season of our life. I'm not thankful for all the bad stuff that's happened to me. I'm not thankful for the people who have left me and it hurt. I'm not thankful for the miscarriage that we had. I'm not thankful for the pain that I've experienced. I'm not thankful for it, but you gotta be thankful in it or you're gonna become bitter. And you're gonna start cursing the miracles that God has given you and you are never more like God when you are, until you are grateful. So what if right now we just spent some time thanking God? Would you close in prayer with me? God, we just come before you right now and we thank you. God, as humans, it's so easy to be consumed with ourselves and with our own needs and how things don't go our way. And God, we're all control freaks. And so when something's out of our control, God, we complain. And the truth of the matter is, is every single one of us is guilty of complaining about the very manna that you've provided. So God, would you help us to be a people that praise you first? Would you help us to be a people that come up with solutions and not just present problems? Would you help us to be a people that choose to praise you in the midst of difficult circumstances? God, would you change us from the inside out? Would you help us to take a hard stand when others, when the riffraff wanna complain? God, would you help us take a hard stand and not let them complain about the manna that you've provided right here at City Life Church? Would you do something amazing in our lives so we could appreciate and love the life that you've given us? Help us to do what you've called us to do. And God, right now, we're just asking that you'd give us the courage to do it because it isn't easy. We thank you for what you're gonna do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.